Hey, greetings everyone and welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Lots of interesting stuff in store for you this week with my guest who was named one of the UK's top 50 industry influencers to the beauty and aesthetics industry. He is Roy Cowley, a well-known and respected figure in the industry as a pioneer in non-surgical technology. He's an entrepreneur and the managing director of 3D Aesthetics, which is one of the industry leaders in developing results-driven non-surgical devices for the beauty and aesthetics industry for over a decade now. Now, that's a bit of a tongue twister there. (laughs) Now, as always, the intention is to bring you, my audience, content that inspires, educates, and provides practical information that is actionable so that you can indeed scale up your business, your career, scale up your life, And this conversation with Roy is no exception. In fact, one of the key things we get into today is how you can recession-proof your business. And I can't think of a better time than now to be talking about that topic. We also get into his humble beginnings, his early career, that pivotal moment when he had to make a decision to create an impact in the industry that he now excels at. We're going to go deep into the 2009 recession, how he lost it all, but through resilience, built himself back up. And as I said, no more important message, in my opinion, than we should be talking about that sort of stuff right now with lots of different levels of complexity and uncertainty in the world. You know, I I don't dwell on failure. I think that throughout my life, you know, we've not dealt into every single thing, but you always have failure, you know, but it's, it's how you can turn that into success. And as this show is mainly about scaling up different aspects of your life, he shares how he scaled his company into one that is now in turnover range of around 10 million pounds and has created a net worth of himself of significant numbers of millions, which I'm not going to get into the detail of. But we talk about lots of interesting things, lots of insightful and relatable topics. And as I said beforehand, things around change and transformation that can affect your business things like the pandemic how it affected his business and how he used a concept called faf fear acceptance and fight to approach and cope with things through really difficult times you know i remember the day when our industry shut and we kind of locked our doors and and i I call it um, a faf was it fear acceptance and fight So there you go. As I said, an important message for all the things that we are going through right now in business. Another amazing guest joining me today who has experienced a very challenging but also very rewarding journey of scaling a business firsthand. Here to tell us more, welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Roy Cowley. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley. Welcome to another week, another episode of Scale Up and another awesome guest that I have for you today. Joining me on the show is Mr. Roy Cowley. Welcome, Roy. Yeah, welcome, Nick. How are you doing? Very good. Well, we're going to get everyone to know you very, very well uh, in a second. But um, let's just talk about uh, kind of what you're in, what sort of business you're in um, and uh, sort of the market. Let's just start there and then we can get into kind of how you got into it. Yeah, it's a very interesting marketplace, and, and I'm very fortunate it's, it's an expanding marketplace. Um, you can't buy us on Amazon, you know, their services. So we're selling to clinics, and it's the one thing that they can't put in a box and put you through your front door. So that's a great level of protection for us there. So, yeah, the aesthetics industry, um, we're now the kind of leader in the 
selling of medical aesthetic devices in the UK and started from humble beginnings. But uh, okay, good. Yeah, very exciting marketplace. So let's get into it. For those who don't know what aesthetics are, like let's get let's get quite practical and very simple. So what are the main things that people come to you for? Okay, so they don't come to us directly, although we do have clinics as part of our portfolio. Yeah. We kind of manufacture and sell the devices. So aesthetics is probably the next step up from beauty. Beauty is okay. more, let's put it as creams, lotions, potions, pampering, where aesthetics is more result-driven treatments. And I suppose you could say that I kind of created the, the tweakments, which is... Uh, tweakments. Oh, wow. That's like you create a, creating a category is what that's called, Roy. Yeah, it is indeed. Blue Ocean, Blue Ocean. Blue Ocean. I've read the book. It's over there somewhere. Um, but okay, so aesthetics. I mean, you know, for people who are going to watch this on YouTube later on, Roy looks damn good already, right? I, I, I'm at the moisturizer stage, not oh, quite yeah. anything else. But are we talking, I mean, can you self-administer certain, like, I mean, I'm going to be really naive here and ignorant, like Botoxy type stuff. Can you self-administer that or is it different to that? No, it's, it's different to that, although that's classified as aesthetics. We, yeah. I suppose, pioneered the non-surgical element of that. So to give you some ideas, we do Hydra 2 Facial, which incorporates radio frequency for tightening skin. Um, we do vaginal tightening using CO2 laser. We do laser hair removal. Uh, we built the business on the back of 3D LiPo, which is non-invasive fat removal, skin tightening, and cellulite. So these are just a few- Wow, non-invasive liposuction. That's going to that's gonna be popular. Yeah, it, it has to be very, very popular. I had stem cells put in my right knee. I do lots of ultra running and crazy stuff like that. And I had stem cells put in my right knee about five or six years ago, and they had to effectively liposuck the fat from my stomach and then centrifuge it and then yeah, inject yeah. it in my knee. So my wife was laughing. She said, like, how do you get to have that? I thought, you know, I'm an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, okay, so we understand. So non, non-surgical, you know, technology, as it says, um, and you know, you've created a pretty, a pretty big business off the back of that. We can get into some of that in a minute, but how did you get into this industry? What was the starting point? Now there's, there's a question. And I think, uh, actually one of the phrases that I suppose is come on the back of is success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Oh, that's a good, that's a good topic. That might even end up being the bloody title of this episode, you know, Roy. Love Winston <laughs> Churchill. So, um, <laughs> And, and so the starting point for me was that I come from a middle-class family. I was a great disappointment through my education. In fact, I came out with no qualifications whatsoever. Massive disappointment. I've been told all my life or in my younger days that I would come to nothing from teachers and family. Um, and then one day when I was at college, I enrolled for McDonald's, um, which was social suicide when I donned my flares. But anyway, it's a separate subject. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and it started there you know that that for me was I know it sounds a strange thing but that for me was suddenly my coming of age because I found something that I could relate to I worked hard uh, I got promoted uh, and long story short um, I became the youngest store manager in the UK at, at, I think I was just in my young early 20s uh, hey, wow. from there you can't see the connection yet, Nick, right, to aesthetics? Well, I can. I, I'm, I, whenever I, just so, just so I mean, everyone who listens to this regularly knows how I do this, I'm always trying to be as present as I can and listening to the different um, parts of the story here. I'm starting to sort of put something together already, but I'll let you continue and then we can jump into it. Well, the ironic thing is that through my McDonald's days, I built up my future market for fat people. But anyway, that's... <laughs> is that you, you were just waiting to get that in, weren't you? <laughs> Maybe there was inspiration. 
Like sometimes you've got to be externally focused to see the problems that can be solved, right? Maybe. Uh, so yeah, from there, uh, I used that as a catapult actually to get into something I always wanted to get into, which was selling. So I went yeah. to work with Kellogg's, another American organization. Um, so I kind of had some amazing training with McDonald's, although I didn't really know it at the time, a lot of people skills, a lot of accountancy, um, training, just understanding the standards that they, they used, and then sales training through Kellogg's. Um, and then came my first disaster, which was I lost my driving license. So uh, not really an ideal thing for a salesperson to have no car. So you were, you were like one of these like guys on the road going around to you know, retailers, distributors or whatever else and selling product. Selling the product to a degree. But I mean, you can imagine Kellogg's is something. It was more about maximizing buying opportunities in some of the bigger wholesalers. So account management effectively where you're trying to go in there. Okay, got it. So you had a number of accounts that you had to look after with a target and quota, et cetera, et cetera. You got it. Yeah, exactly right. So losing job. Um, and I think, you know, again, this was a bit of a disaster at the time. But ultimately, um, because you've lost everything, it's a great time to take a risk. And... That's exactly what happened. So I, my mother, you know, this is when we opened up a beauty salon in Leamington Spa. Um, people think, well, it's strange to go from that. It was just that there was an opportunity. Motorized exercise had just come out. I could see it was something that was going to be popular. Uh, my mother was a hairdresser, so it's not that unconnected from a, a family business perspective. Um, so I opened up this clinic and it kind of all started off from there. Did you think... Or did you start to um, feel more entrepreneurial through any of that sort of, let's call it the early, I'm going to call it corporate, even though it's not 100% like that. But, you know, was there an itch sort of that had to be scratched that you wanted to go do something else? Or was it more more subtle than that? Uh, possibly more subtle. I think it was just, you know, I realized that, you know, you would always be working for someone else at a certain level. Um, and I think, you know, you, you've got small minds. I mean, when, when you grow up, you're small-minded in the fact that you travel from here to Coventry and it's like another world, you know, and as we travel globally, but relating that to business, it was for me, you know, my first hundred thousand was massive. Of course, now things move on, but uh, it certainly expanded my mind. And I think a lot of that, I always come down to this thing about there are different paths and certainly, um, you know, a lot of people think that the, the only path is you go to school, you get qualifications, you go to university. And my philosophy is slightly different, although I didn't have that choice, is that the more you get into education, the more actually you become a good learner and your entrepreneurialism is stripped. Um, mm, I believe, I fully agree with that. In fact, it's funny because I was talking to my wife because we, we're in the fortunate position that we don't have to be tied to any particular place. Right, We can work anywhere. Our businesses are fully virtual and online. And wow. we were looking, our kids are young. Our kids are, um, are 10 and 7. And we were looking for schools that specifically taught entrepreneurial type of traits or things like sustainability or things that we think are going to be more important and impactful. And yeah. there are a few actually, Roy, around the place, but they're in kind of crazy places like Portugal and stuff like that. And they're not easy to find. Sure. Okay. But, yeah. but I fully agree with you that, you know, sometimes you get into the system and maybe it's a blessing that you didn't go all the way through that in the way that some people do because yeah. you kind of get put into these boxes. Yeah, yeah into boxes and, you know, your mindset's different. And, okay, it wasn't my intended route, um, and it certainly wasn't the route that my parents intended. But that kind of got me to this point. And what happened then is I started to see a bigger picture because I was in an industry that was limited really to my staff and the number of treatments that they could do. But I suddenly saw that this was an industry that I could really find a future in. So I, I kind of saw a machine which was one of the early aesthetic devices called the non-surgical facelift. Um, 
And that, um, you know, that really inspired me to A, take it on for the clinic, but B, I jumped on a plane, went to Germany, met the Seattle company and signed up with a bit of blagging. Uh, <laughs> a bit of selling from Kellogg's. What, what actually is a non-surgical facelift for, the, for us uninitiated? Yeah, it uses microcurrents. So it's kind of old hat now, but in the time it uses kind of microcurrent to re-educate the muscle. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it, it was everywhere. I mean, I was kind of in that sector, interestingly, I was a Me Too product. So I followed in on the back of a company called Casey, uh, who had a massive PR campaign um, and created a lot of consumer awareness behind uh, this particular competitive product. You know, Lady Di was using it, Cliff Richard, Cliff Richard was using it. So, you know, I, I kind of tailed behind my first bench. It was like a Me Too product. I didn't, ex uh, ex I didn't receive the, you know, success that they did, but we certainly did very well on the back of this kind of new era. Yeah, and jumping and getting in early, I suppose, as you said, you know, yeah. you were, you know, you know, may not have been first to market, but you were there at the early stages. So just to go back a step, yeah. so this Leamington Spa, you call it a, a beauty, yeah, beauty. I suppose a beauty salon, and so Tony Tony. And so, so you, and what was your your role specifically in that? Because you said, didn't you say you started it with your mum? Was it or something like that? No, no, I didn't start it with her. She was kind of in a aligned industry. So okay, um, yeah, my job was effectively kind of like the founder of the concept and. And really just managed it because I couldn't be hands-on too much because it was predominantly a women's space. Got it. Okay. But you were kind of doing strategy and ops and all those sort of yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, and, and, scale, obviously. No, but but even so. But I want to go through one one of the things that um, people enjoy about the different guests I bring on the show is is going a little bit deeper into the detail, right? So, because you know you've got you know an eight-figure business, right? So you know it didn't start like that. So let's let's talk about. The things that you did, the things that worked, right, and the things that maybe didn't work, right, and what you've, what, how you've, how you've adapted to that. So, so let's go right back to the very beginning. So you've got this this business. Yeah. What, what were those first few years like? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, working for McDonald's, you suddenly have kind of relatable things, uh, scheduling. So, but it was really, I think, the, the problem with a business of that size is you kind of have to do everything. And that's, you know, you know yourself that when you get to a certain level, you can have an accountant, you can have, uh, you know, somebody who looks after HR, you can have, and I didn't. So it was really getting to grips with all elements of the business. My passion as always is marketing, sales, um, but of course, you've also got to control the bottom line. So it was really early days of when it's your own money, it's very different than when you're controlling money, you know, McDonald's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, it's different. Um, and you know, you don't get huge overdrafts, and you've got very little margin for error. So yeah, it was really you know flying by the seat of your pants and learning as you go along. So yeah, it was great. I mean, I always say you know I had the, I've had the most expensive private education in business for sure. Well, there you go. You learn, learn, learn by doing and practice. What was the um, what was the growth rate in the early days? Did it did it did it pick up quickly, or was it yeah, something that you know? Good. Um, I mean, I think we went up to a, the level of around about, you know, 150, 200,000 on the back of the appointments and, and expanding with the staff. And, uh, but it was very limited, of course, of a business on the high street of that size um, as to, as to you know, the type of success it could achieve. It was good, and, but it just gave me that hunger for seeing the bigger picture. You know, the people that were selling to us obviously have got, thousands of clinics that they can do business with and, and that's where i kind of saw uh, and my initial venture was distribution so we were a sole distributor for that product and moving on from that was then all about 
you know, building up our database and then really coming into more and more products. Uh, we then brought out Crystal Clear, which was microdermabrasion, sandblasting the face, Nick, if we want to break it down to... Sandblasting the face. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some great, great, great images already from this. Exactly. And, and that's when I kind of learned from the previous experience because I was first to market and I, I took on a, a, you know, a, a very well-known publicist at the time and created my own consumer awareness campaign, which again really started to, to build the turnover of the company. Got it. So you started to really grow. Let's, let's, we're kind of getting into a scale-up stage at this point now, but you started yeah. to bring in other products through partnerships and then you became... And, and yeah, partnerships, yeah. Sold got it. Right. Joint venture type of things. And you would, were you, yeah. So were you sole distributor here yeah. for a lot of those brands? Let's call it that. Yeah, I mean, we built to a point where even in the early days, we were quite powerful in, in the amount of clinics that we had on board uh, and we would never accept anything less than sole distribution uh, for it. their products. And that's kind of where it went over the next probably 10 years was just really expanding into laser hair removal, various other products uh, and innovating. But, you know, it got to a point where we hit the last recession um, and I wasn't in a great place. You know, I was overexposed you know when the turnover's there and everything's working fine everything's great and also it didn't really feel that wholesome because i felt that you know what we were doing was you know just finding the next the next new thing we would promote it it was a generic commodity other people would come in behind us with faster cheaper um and you know if I'm honest, in the first stage of, of my career as a, as a businessman, I felt a bit like a used car salesman in the end. Um, right. So it then moved on to effectively the next chapter, um, which is really very much Blue Ocean, where I, I let's, let's let's pause before we go there because I think I think I just want to we're definitely going to go there. I, I just want to kind of go yeah. back into this point where you said a couple of things. Yeah, so sure. this idea of exposed. Yeah. Uh, this idea of, you know, used car salesman. What was the business like at that point in time? Was the business still successful, but you realized you had to create maybe a different identity of what you wanted to do to go forward? Or was the business starting to struggle through that recession? Well, and you had to... to all intents and purposes, the business failed at that point. Right, okay. Um, because we hit the last recession. It was a, a kind of multifaceted recession in respect that no one would give credit to clinics to buy things. Consumer confidence had fallen. So it kind of came at us from all angles. And when I said I was overexposed, things like, you know, we didn't mind, we were doing well, we had plenty of turnover. But when that really declines, you know, certain things kick in and we just couldn't really get through that. It wasn't, it, it, it was time to really face up to the music, if you like. And, Did you feel like giving up? Uh, it's an interesting point. You know, I, I'd, fa I'd face that with my wife, actually. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know, shall we go to Spain and get pissed for the rest of our lives? Or, you know, shall I, shall I really? And it, it was exactly that, where do you run away in, to all intents and purposes? Or, as she quite rightly said at that time, said, look, you know this industry like the back of your hand. You can reinvent yourself. Just get out there and do it. And I, and I think that's exactly what, well, I know that's exactly what happened. Um, and, I, and as the old saying goes, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Well, the other, the other thing that I think is a great saying is, you know, you only fail when you quit, right? So there's, you know, every entrepreneur that I've worked with and the stuff that I do, they always yeah. have these points where there's a, there's a saying, have you ever heard the saying three feet from gold? 
Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, it's ba it's based on um, all these people who were digging up, you know, gold mines yeah. in California, and all these people would give up because they kept finding whatever, <laughs> and then you know, literally, someone would come in next, and they dig literally three feet from where they were, and they'd find an oil well or gold or something like that, and so people didn't realize how close they were to their ultimate outcome, and because they gave up, they never realized it. You see what I mean? It's just now. It's, it's a it's a it's very true and. We'll come on to it in a minute, but, you know, my second rebirth, if you like, was exactly based on, you know, the mistakes that happened, understanding it, reinventing myself, but doing things in a way that was totally right. Um, okay. Well, that, this is good. Well, you know, we've teased everyone. We've teased huh? everyone, Rory. We have to get into this now. Wow. <laughs> so... So you use the word blue ocean beforehand, right? So yeah. the business hasn't been doing well. You have to reinvent yourself and the business. What do you do then? Well, it's kind of, you know, when, when, you're, when you're at rock bottom at the time, you know, you really focus because I suppose at the age I was at the time, and let's just think back on that. I mean, we're looking around about 15 years or so. Um, you kind of think, well, if I get it wrong this time, there's no second chance, you know? And I, and I was seeing people back then that had invested all their money, you know, older people, my, my parents' generation, invested in Spain stocks and shares and they kind of lost it all to a degree and they don't really have that opportunity to have a second chance. Um, I was grateful of the fact that I did. Uh, I was determined to succeed um, but you know I wasn't just going to go out there and repeat the mistakes that I made before. That's called stupid right? So, <laughs> so what I did was I saw something that was coming out which was very much down the fat removal lines which is, is what I built my business on there was fat freezing, which um, was an amazing thing that works on sculpting the body permanently. Yeah. Um, and the easiest thing in the world would for me to have gone fat freezing, I can make, I can get that out there. And what am I doing? Red ocean, creating all the mistakes that I did before, chasing a trend. And I stopped myself and thought very carefully about my next steps. And, and what that was, was using blue ocean. And a lot of people say to me how lucky I am. And, you know, we all know the saying, the harder I work, the luckier I become, right? Yep, got um, it. But I did very much take on board this blue ocean because it made total sense. Um, and you know, you've read the book. But I took the fat freezing, which was very much for targeted fat removal. I took cavitation, which is ultrasound, that works more on circumference. I then thought, well, if we want a truly prescriptive treatment, we need to be able to tighten skin as well. So we need radio frequency. And then on the other hand, we want to treat cellulite. So what I did was create um, with uh, another company, a machine that works on three dimensions. And there was the Eureka moment, 3D lipo. Um, so the, the, the blue ocean element was the fact we created this multi-technology prescriptive platform for total body contouring, gave it a name 3D lipo, promoted the hell out of it. And therefore we were the ones getting all the benefit from all of the celebrity profiles that we were achieving around, you know, around the country and created a massive, massive awareness for it with all the uh, celebrities and, and various associations with Lord Sugar, for example. There you go. Okay, got it. And so was, I mean, this is where again, I don't know enough about how you do this, but was the product created from the outset and then marketed or did you kind of go out there with the marketing? Because sometimes, you know, the, I used to work in the magazine industry and we used to say, write the cover line, then find the story. Right, because yeah. because the way you described yeah. it was, you kind of thought if if this thing could exist, that would be the blue ocean, and then you went out and obviously made it. I suppose we did go out and make it, but we did very much. There's another saying: put the cart before the horse. Okay. 
um, from a PR perspective, it always works because, you know, you, I went out, um, it was to Beijing actually, and found a very, very good medical organization. These technologies were available individually. So yes, I put okay. them together um, and then put the cart before the horse with the PR that created this am amazing awareness behind the brand, um, oh. which we benefited from uh, because we weren't promoting a generic commodity. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. There's a, there's another kind of saying in in the whole business strategy side, particularly in the red ocean, blue ocean theory, um, and that is that you know people don't buy like incremental improvement; they buy a new opportunity. Meaning that like improvement sucks, right? Like a little bit, getting a little bit better, it sucks. But if I can go out there and change something in a quicker, faster, better way that works, that that people will always jump to that. The the way the best analogy of it is the whole horse versus car thing with Henry Ford, right? People exactly. thought they wanted this, then the car turns up, they want the car. So it sounds like you did a bit of that through this. Absolutely right. And, and what we'd proven before was, you know, if, if clients are reading about this celebrity's using it, this celebrity's using it, um, then, it, you know, they're getting customers going into their clinics going, do you do this treatment? So they, you know, come on the phone and they buy the treatment. So this is how it all works. How did you get good at PR? Or how did you get good at understanding that industry? Um, we used a publicist in the early days. It, it was basically going back to that early analogy of the first machine I bought out where I was a Me Too product to somebody else who had done that very well. So when we launched that second product, Crystal Clear, sandblasting, remember? Um, <laughs> we, we, we just applied that approach. Um, I can't really discuss who my publicist is because he's, he was in prison and he's now dead. Um, so oh, could, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to say that he's so good that, it, you know, the name comes up, they, you know, they get too much business, but particularly okay. on a show like this, but okay, but we won't go there. We'll leave that no, one. <laughs> we won't go there. We'll, we'll skip over that one. Um, but Claire Powell um, of CAMPR effectively was uh, the, the, the lady that I work with and have worked with for a long time. Uh, to create the awareness behind 3D LiPo, and it worked extremely well. So let's get into some of the the more challenging or painful parts of the journey, as we said we would do. So, so you've kind of gone, I'm going to say, all in to some extent. As you said, if it didn't work, there might not be a second opportunity. How did you get yourself mentally around that? Um, I was very positive about it. I almost saw it as a, a kind of rebirth in some ways, almost a reboot. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't dwell on failure. I think that throughout my life, you know, we've not dealt into every single thing, but you always have failure, you know, but it's, it's how you can turn that into success. And I think that really for me was my true motivation was to, was to get back on top, but get on, back on top with a different set of rules. You know, we, okay. we don't have any, any debt whatsoever. You know, the house I live in is owned outright. The business doesn't have any borrowing. So I built it up with very positive cash flow very quickly um and did it you know we, we we really plowed everything back into the marketplace and created you know a lot of profit um but like i say this whole thing was done with a different head of shoulders shoulders on my head head on my did, shoulders head on, no we got you we got you did you take any um external investment in when you were going through this kind of scale up you, you basically reinvested what you made exactly i mean and we, was that an intentional decision uh yes yeah, it was, because at the end of the day, we, I suppose one thing I didn't mention is we transitioned from being a distributor to a manufacturer. Okay, right. Manufacturer under license. So that takes a lot of capital. I mean, again, in most industries to do that. Well, it didn't, because okay. I went out to this factory um, and ultimately they knew uh, of me over the years. Um, and I blagged it in some ways by basically saying, look, you guys 
you do all the R&D, you know, you, you effectively produce this system and I will guarantee you that I will sell this amount of machines. And they knew I could. So, yeah, there is always ways around that. Always ways around that. If, if you okay. are well-respected in your own industry, you know, you can, on the back of the volume you're going to do with this product, kind of accept, get them to take on board a certain element of the cost up front. Yeah, sort of a gain share model. <clears throat> I mean, just, just to be really, you know, clear on it, though, from my understanding, yeah, that, that's a bit of a superpower that you've said two or three times now, Roy. Right, you know, in different ways, and it, it's it's you may sometimes people who've got gifts in certain areas don't really recognize or acknowledge them, but a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, don't. They are either not confident enough to have the, the conversation and yeah, ask. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. there is something in that, and I and I've got a feeling it's going to be a thread through your story <laughs> as we keep on going. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to be confident. You know, you know what you want to get. You've got to. It's not. You've got to sell yourself. You've got to sell yourself. And have that confidence. We're going through that right now, you know, with some other massively exciting products that I'll tell you about right towards the end. Um, it's your reputation. They know you can sell volume. You've done it before. And, you know, you, you really use all your selling strengths to make sure that you can achieve what you want. Now, okay, it might be with a level of compromise and respect that you might be using a case that might be used on something else and could be recognised. But if you can accept that for the short term until you go into your own injection molding um, and build the sales to the level that you can afford to do that, then it's a compromise. But, you know, we, we achieved what we wanted to achieve um, and it put us in great stead. But the gross margins that were achieved based on the manufacturer and based on us sourcing it uh, in Beijing gave us the ability when we sold volume to really just ramp up the cash flow, um, which, which gave us a lot of choices going forward. And, and let me just understand at this point um, in the journey, what was the what was the sales and distribution model like? Because you mentioned before you had some sites or some, uh, and then there's a, there's a fair bit of online now. But were you selling through channels and all that sort of thing? What was the model like? Yeah, I mean, we were doing a certain amount of export. Um, we were doing a certainly high level of sales within the UK market. You know, we were probably at a level at this point of about uh, two and a half to three million. Okay, got it. Okay, so let's go through that scale-up journey. So you've come up with with some innovation around the market. You've seen a need. You've got into the market early. You've leveraged things through partnerships. Yes. What else was – I'm just starting to pull apart the various um, strategies and let's call them secrets that made you successful through this period. What else did you do over that time that you think had a, a demonstrable impact on, on you being able to scale quickly? I think throughout this period, you know, we did diversify again. So we're a company of, I guess, uh, three different things. We're a company of – innovation with multi-technology platforms, which we've become known for. Um, we, we champion affordability within our industry, uh, and that certainly puts us in massive good stead mm, again. Okay. Um, we, we then invested a lot more in specialized personnel. So we bought our own premises outright that we operate from to this day, uh, but we, I invested very heavily in some key manage, management layer in other words, to build the foundations, because in the early days, we didn't do a great job of it. You know, we, we were building turnover and concentrating on turnover, but in some ways letting our customers down. So I put a, a great deal of importance before we kind of went to the next scale up to really put in the management layers, put in the organizational skills. We went through our ISO 13485 accreditation, um, which gave us really fantastic platform to then really move up a, a notch again. Did you get any, was, was anyone on the outside um, mentoring you through this or was this all kind of just your own instinct? 
Yeah, absolutely. It always has been. Yeah. I've, okay, I've, that's interesting as well. And not, yeah. not that not that everything has to be about um, someone else guiding, but I. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have a skill set. I'm surrounded. This, I suppose, it's part of the surrounding myself with people with different skill sets. You know, like operations. Um, you know, obviously accountancy. Uh, I did actually take on a chap uh, called Adam Batty, who was very good at kind of just, help, I suppose, helping me a little bit through this strategic um, organization and more corporate mindset. Yeah. So, yeah, I've kind of forgotten about that. No, bringing, bringing some governance in. I mean, there, there are certain yeah. things that happen yeah. at, at scale up. And, yeah. and one of those things, particularly if you ever want to exit, I mean, I don't know what the structure is now. Are you still the main um, shareholder of the business? Yes, I am, yeah. Okay, yeah, because when you start to get into the exit stuff that I did in my private equity days, you know, having governance layers and some level of um, professional structure yeah, um, yeah. just makes more yeah. certainty around the around the exit. But um, in in terms of in terms of that it sort of might be on the cards, Nick. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. You're talking to the right guy then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've done I've done 26 of the bloody things, and some of them are up there in the billions. Um, but anyway, we, we can talk about that different separately. Um, yeah. But in terms of you, let's talk about you for a second. Like I, I do get a sense that whenever I kind of go on you, you kind of think oh, I don't want to talk about me. But I'm going to keep asking. Um, how did your identity change? So if you look back, sometimes it's easy to look back in hindsight and say I had to evolve myself, I had to think bigger, or I had to make different decisions. You know, there's going to be some part of you that remain you, right, all the way through. But yeah. as a leader, how have you changed over that over that time? Yeah, interesting point. I suppose I don't, you know, diagnose myself on a regular basis. I, I certainly feel like I'm a better person. I think in your youth you could be a bit arrogant. Yeah, you know, I'm a great believer in, uh, you know, and it's, it's a big ethic actually within my own business that, you know, every wheel in the cog is important to me. You know, if I don't, my delivery driver doesn't deliver a machine, then I'm not going to get paid. So. You know, I look after all my staff equally. Um, I'm quite humble. You know, uh, I, I have, you know, I speak to everybody. I mean, I'm not somebody who will click his fist fingers in a restaurant and demand. Oh, good. You know, <laughs> honestly, I, I just hate arrogance amongst people, especially if they're successful. So I like to think that I'm very grounded with the success that I've achieved. Um, how I've changed within business, I, I'm smarter within business for sure. Yeah. I, I think that's just something that, you know, when you when when you're long in the tooth, that happens. Um, if you learn by your mistakes, I'm very well respected within the, in the industry, um, and you know, it's it's just a nice, comfortable place to be at my age to be within an industry and be well respected and knowledgeable. Um, yeah, and so, and you're still super young, right? So there's still more to go. Um, <laughs> let's that, anyway. let's talk let's talk about let's talk about the pandemic a bit here um just because it's affected everybody in different ways i'm just curious about how that affected your business either either positively or negatively um and and just how you adapted over that period as well it's a great question probably i wouldn't have brought it up but you know i think this was kind of like i look back and it's probably one of the proudest moments i have because one of the things i'm very good at is thinking out of the box yeah boy it's a big box to think out of you know, I remember the day when our industry shut and we kind of locked our doors. And, and I, I call it, um, what, did we, what did we call it? A faff. Was it fear, acceptance and fight? Mm, uh, nice. Oh, wow. That's uh, cool. <laughs> we, you know, fear, believe me, if you see some of the videos that I put out there, you can see it all over my face. It was just really something I didn't really know how to deal with. It was, it had come out of nowhere. And that was the fear element. The acceptance was one where it's like, it's here. There's nothing you can do about it. 
uh, and that was the time really when I went to work. Um, went to work initially on damage limitation. How long is it going to be? Um, mm -hmm. You know, just screw down the cash flow. Don't pay anyone. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, that's called being strategic in my world, Roy, by the way. That's <laughs> what I was looking for. Um, and then fight was all about, well, okay, how can we really buck the trend? There was two people, types of people in our industry, and I'm sure it was the same. There was a type that just shut the door and hid under the desk um, and hoped it would go away. And there's the other ones that really tried to, um, actually, the word I would use is that a bit like, you know, sailing, get, getting to your destination. If the wind's blowing in the wrong direction, you've got to tilt with your sails, right, Nick? That's right. I'm not. I, I I use this analogy, and you've also got to learn when to. I'm going to use another with tack at the right point to catch the wind. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really into the sailing as much as you are. We talked about that before we press record. No, but I, I understand I, the I, analogy. Nick, I don't use sails. <laughs> <laughs> How can they call these big boats um, sailboats? Then they're not, are they? They're just like motor massive. Yachts. They call them motor yachts, but they're not yachts. But they're I not think. yachts. All right. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a nice one anyway. Um, but okay, but let's let's play with this a bit. So, but obviously, you know, you mentioned beforehand that you were pretty, you know, you you kind of had the reserves in this business anyway, I take it. Yeah. So there was a point you had a runway. It wasn't like you had three months of, you know, you'd been spending so so recklessly with cash that there was an issue here. I, had you prepared for the storm to go back to our, our yacht? <laughs> <Don't> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think you're 100% right. And it's all down to learning from a previous mistake where, you know, everything everything dried up, but I didn't have, you know, enough, uh, enough reserves to really weather the storm. So we were in a great position. We had no borrowings. We had yep. um, great reserves. We had assets if we needed to that we could sell. Um, so, yeah, we, we weren't in a bad position. Uh, and I think it was really going back to that mentality of once you've lost something once and realise if you borrow borrow that you know someone can take it off you um i put us in a great starting point but what happened next was the most exciting stuff is that we i went well okay people are locked down at this moment in time it's a perfect time to train so i came up with a strategy where um i, I, I got a bespoke leasing scheme agreed where they didn't have to pay anything for six months so what we did was went out to the marketplace with significant discounts of 40 percent off our devices pay nothing for six months and effectively therefore use this time to train um, we created uh, very quickly we built and spent a lot of money building an extension and created an online training scheme oh wow cool yeah in the old days it was all about every clinic we trained came to us had sandwiches you know traveled up there so we turned this also into an environmentally friendly side uh, as well because there was no travel it was carbon you know and I imagine increased your, you know, if that's a line of revenue within your business, increased your profitability of that line as well. Or was it more of a... Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's that's cool. We went out there and attacked the marketplace because we're very, you know, we, we're the only voice in the industry. Um, we've got a lot of connections. We've got a lot of email addresses. We've got a load, the tr load of trade associations. So we just went aggressive um, with a message that really worked. And, you know, we had a great year when everyone else was still shut. There's no trade shows. And most people, that's all they do is they go to a trade show, sell a few machines. We just went out there. And um, it, it was the perfect example of really thinking out the box and making it work. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance, as they say. <laughs> well, also, you know, the, the, the concept behind Blue Ocean, which we've referenced a few times today, is yeah. 
is to do the opposite of what everyone else does, right? You know, so you're going out there and finding the open space where it's hard. Well, there's no one else there to compete with you. So therefore you get to take what's there, right? So that's that's another example, right? So where everyone else is panicking, they're probably locking down. They've maybe been reckless beforehand. You're out there and you've got yourself in a position where you can do some stuff, which is innovative. Yeah. But it gives you a jump. So what what happened to business performance? I mean, obviously things are still where they are with things around the world, wars and everything in Ukraine. But what happened when we started to come out of lockdown? You know, where how you said you obviously had some advantages there, but I'm curious about what performance has been like since. Performance has been amazing. I mean, we we continue to really, I think, because of some of the initiatives we did through lockdown, people respect us for that. Some of the assistance that we offered, some of the education. Um, we've come out a very strong brand on the back of it, the go-to brand for sure. We're managing to maintain our discounts because a lot of people say to me, when are you going to go back to normal? And it's like, this is normal. This is how we're going to continue to operate. Um, so strategically, we're, we're kind of very much championing still the affordability element within our industry, which, you know, affordability, whether it's travel, whether it's you know, anything, it always, you know, whether it's buying goods online, um, it, it always has an advantage for sure. Uh, and we've just found a place, an even better place post lockdown. So like I keep coming back to sometimes a lot of these things, losing your driving license, losing your job, um, the previous recession, they all build to actually, when you look back on it, have been very positive episodes in your life and business, um, which is, you know, which is fantastic. And although I look back on, the you know COVID as a as a as a certainly a massive challenge. I certainly look back on it, and it certainly you know built you know you know built my strength. You know what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right? It builds the muscle. I think I think there's a book in you around grit and resilience here, which <laughs> you're probably too humble to write it. But but there's a piece, yeah. there's a piece here where again like I I like to just draw um draw sort of underlines if you like over various points. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, they, 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 they maybe have their emotions too tied to the challenges. So what I mean by that is something bad happens and it just throws their mindset off and to the point where yeah. it becomes hard to do anything else. I know what you mean. Um, and certainly I used to be like that. But, I mean, the one thing that I've, you know, that, that I've done recently, well, the last two years, is you know, I kind of realise when I go to the doctors and they say, you've got high blood pressure. And I say, yeah, probably because I'm hypertensive etc and they say well here's a tablet and I think well wait a minute what you know is that the right thing to do um and what I've worked with is, is meditation so I do do meditation every night and the reason I mention that is that it's made me less you know yeah cool reactive. so I can actually think quite I don't panic I just sit back and look at it and go okay let's do it. nothing's never that ever that serious and you just deal deal with the situation in a very calm manner. So, yeah, I can relate to what you're saying there. It comes up a lot, actually. Um, routines, yeah. habits, and meditation is probably one of the, the most popular, as is, you know, getting up early, exercising and stuff like that. But, I mean, just because you've brought it up now, is there anything else that you've introduced in terms of, let's call them habits, that you think have had a, an effect on, on the success? I mean, meditation is a big one, obviously, but anything else? Yeah, I think meditation for sure. I'd love to say exercise, uh, but I don't exercise. Um, you know, I think that, yeah, I, I also value my downtime. I, certainly from my lessons at McDonald's, you know, they owned your soul, those guys, as did with Kellogg's. Um, you know, you would only succeed if you worked 24-7. And I, I'm a great believer in trying to make sure that I find that 
work kind of life balance. Um, but, but nothing really apart from that, I would say that, you know, I, I work on that, that improves. Why, why did you, why did you start yeah. doing that? Was it someone, you know, was, did you, were you, were you quite stressed at a period of time and you thought I need to find something to, to channel that? I think it was mainly because of, of my high blood pressure. I think that was right. something that I felt that, you know, the, like you feel, if you feel hypertensive, it's high, you know, sorry, what is it? Flight. It's fight or flight is there. And, yeah. And, and anxiety is another thing which comes from, you know, a feeling of it's fear. Everything is fear related usually. Yeah. It's, 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 the, it's the feeling you get, you know, if you're about to get, you know, jumped on by a tiger, right. you know, naturally it's, it's an instinct, but that instinct was present in me all the time. And I felt that you shouldn't always feel like that. And, and that's when I started looking into ways of, um, you know, really dealing with that element within my body that, that removed that kind of, constant anxiety if you like yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you can learn from let's call them ancient principles For sure. um which you know I, I went and had some acupuncture today right which is you know a bizarre thing in its own right but I tell you what it works <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, yeah. so so let's let's finish things up a little bit with with a kind of what next piece so you've got this this successful business, you know, obviously pioneering and innovating within the industry. You you yourself are very well known and respected. You're about to go and take some time off, which sounds great as well. <laughs> but what's what's next for you and and what's next for the business? What would you like to happen over the next period of time? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of built the business up to a point where we're a combination of, I think I touched on it earlier, where we're innovation. We're also now expanded into all the key areas of, of aesthetics, whether it's laser hair removal, whether it's tattoo removal. So we're, we're very well represented. We're now certainly the largest within our sector in the UK. Um, yeah, we, we've got our kind of medical ISO 13485 and all of those things. Uh, we also get very much behind new innovations. So we're very quick to the market uh, with things like at the moment is, is microneedling radio frequency. So we can get to the market quite quick. Uh, we, we've expanded our our staffing so that we, we, you know, we, we built the business to a level this year where we're, we're looking at approximately 10 million with a bottom line of just over 3.5. Oh, great. Um, okay. So good margin. And, and that's, you yeah. know, that's, that's healthy. Yeah. It's a good, I mean, I know many businesses that turn over 150 million and, and don't make that, you know, so it, it's, it, it's a good, it's a good margin uh, for us to work with. So next steps, um, we're being looked at externally from, a similar industry, let's say dental, at yep. the moment, that are looking to potentially buy into our organisation because we are, um, they're very much in dental, also expanding into aesthetics. So it's very much a, a synergistical potential acquis acquisition there. Um, we're also looking potentially, we've got a, a clinic model that we might expand. So that's another area that we can go down. We also have just about to launch a very innovative skincare line, um, which is, let's just say, it uses technology and certain actives so that the customer themselves can dispense uh, their own products. It, it, it's something I unfortunately can't talk to. You can't talk. I know, you, I know you're desperate to, because like you're looking super excited now. The energy levels have just lifted about yeah, 50%. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's something which, although the skincare market's massive, this is something that is really unique and has a massive selling point. So we're going to go out there. Um, and like you said before, uh, or I said before, is that I have the ability to really 
buy into this quick. So, you know, I, I saw it at a recent trade show, uh, a new startup, relatively. Um, but, you know, I could dangle some massive carrots in front of them in respect to opening orders, um, turnover commitments, uh, and, and they were very excited about that. So we've managed to get the, you know, sole distribution for the UK, Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland. So, yeah. Yeah, you're at, you're at the point um, in my in my years of, I did 10 years in private equity. You're at the point now where they call that the strategic, the strategic growth side of where you've built the foundations of your business are ready to scale. Um, they say exponentially because it's acquisitions, joint ventures, partnerships. Yeah, and sure. so you'll get, you'll get, you're, you're at the level now with those figures that you'll start to um, come under the in, into the frame of that, yeah. um, and then then you've got two choices. You either you either lean into lean into yourself. So a lot of the people that I um, I've worked with, they go and do their own acquisitions and they start to build a bigger group because they know how the metrics are going to play forward, um, yeah. or you get bolted into something that's already in play. But there's there's two point six trillion dollars. That's T trillion. Uh, USD sitting in private equity firms coffers right now undeployed because there's been a lack of good asset on the business, sorry, asset in the market since pandemic. So they're out there very hungry to deploy those funds because obviously their institutional investors get very upset if they've got the money just sitting in their um, their bank accounts. Well, to be totally honest with you, we can help them with that. I, I reckon you could. I reckon you could. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic to know. I wrote a paper on this recently saying that the next three years, probably up to five years, market multiples yeah. are the highest they've been this century um, because yeah. of the way that works. So, yeah. So, you know, if you're looking at the next three years being an amazing ride, there you go. There's just there's your next step. Yeah. And, and it's, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, when you talk about this, you know, you can say, well, okay, you can build this, you can acquire that. Um, and you could be worth and you know especially with things like the pandemic you know the war my my philosophy on that is you know knowing what i'd probably get for the business right now um i'd be more than happy with that yeah i'm not greedy i'm not greedy well i ask um i I do this thing where i ask people three questions the first question is you know what is your life-changing number right and that number is usually a lot smaller than people kind of when you really think about it right because i had a guy we sold his business for uh we sold it for 18 million dollars but he took 10 out and um, his wealth manager then said, we're going to invest that in like a Vanguard account, sort of S&P 500. Yeah. And um, he was going to be making, I think it was $58,000 per month, right, for the rest of his lot, because it was basically Vanguard growing at 7 8%. So quite a small, but that, that's his take home, right? Let's call it income for yeah. the rest of his life yeah. of a 10 million capital event. So when you think about it, you don't have to make a heap of money from an exit to be, you know, creating generational wealth and all that sort of stuff as well. So you don't want to overcomplicate it. You know, I've seen so many people who, you know, they, they sell out and they do this and buy that. And, you know, that's just making, that's kicking some massive complications down the line when you really don't need it in your life. And, you know, for me, for me, the figure was, it's probably 25 would be ideal. 20 would be perfectly acceptable. You know, there you go. Well, you, you're uh, probably you're probably not about far off that frame now. Good. We're about there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> very, very good. Well, listen. Um, honestly, it's been an awesome conversation, Roy. I hope I hope you've enjoyed coming on Scale Up. I haven't I haven't put you under the ringer too much. No, no, no. I love it. You know, the, the bottom line is that you know people out there are probably at various stages of their own. If they can take one thing out of this this uh, you know podcast today, then. Them, and it benefits their life, then fantastic. Well, you, I'm going to give you two last questions, actually. The, last, the, the, the more important question for everyone listening, actually, they're both important, but this one is, if you could give one bit of advice from all the things you've learned over this last 10 to 15 years to people yeah. listening, what is that one piece of advice? You know, I'm going to say, 
don't chase the money. Oh, good. Basically, like that. what I mean by that is that if you, a bit like, you know, when we created 3D LiPo, you might think in business, don't chase the money. You no, no, it's good. Uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is create something that you really believe in, awesome blue ocean, you know, project, if you like. Create something you're really passionate about. Go out there and preach about it and the money follows. You know what I mean? That's it. No, oh, I, I, I did a speech in Tampa at this event last year. And the last slide, I said, in order to make, um, life-changing money or, or build life-changing wealth, you've got to, you've got to um, work towards life-changing impact, right? So beautiful. Okay, and where can people, if people want to get in touch with you, and, and trust me, you know, sometimes when you could, I'm going to caveat this by just don't put your email or phone number out there because some of the guests, some of the sorry, listeners do reach out and like trying. But if people want to kind of find out more about you and what you're doing uh, and your business, Roy, and all that, where can they reach you? Where can they reach me? I think probably in the middle of the Adriatic. <laughs> so they can't reach you because you're about to go on a you're about to go on a boat for a uh, for a period of time. Um, boats have boats have internet. Don't worry about it. But um, I think probably the easiest thing would be to contact through the company, which is 3D Lipo Limited um, or 3D Aesthetics. Um, you know, any, any inquiries just put through there. Uh, reaching out to me, and I'll, I'll gladly get back to them. You're going to get all the private equity guys that listen to my show knocking on the door now. Well, listen, mate, um, awesome. Thank you for being so generous with your time today. It's been great having you on um, Scale Up with me. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. And I want to wish you, firstly, have a great holiday, but Thank all the best with what you're doing. It's not a holiday. Okay. Well, okay. life design. <laughs> have, a good, have a good lifestyle ongoing. How's that? Do you know what, do you know what my boat's called on a final note? Oh, no. What is it? You must guess it. I mean, the kind of person's conversation with YOLO. What was that? YOLO. YOLO? You well, I wouldn't have, how, would I have, how would I have guessed that? <laughs> you only live once. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you only live once. Well, it, it is very apt. So now that, but I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> all right. Awesome, Roy. Well, as I said, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Uh, all the very best. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Take care. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.